When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Conor Neal, and joined today by Joe Thomas and Chris Beasley as we look ahead to the huge game against Manchester United on Sunday afternoon and also look back on what's been another frantic couple of days for the club since we last recorded. We always say it's never dull and quiet when we cover an Everton football club, and I think this week just backed up that argument, as once again, there was more rumours and talk of a potential takeover. Joe, I know we always start with the football, and we, you know, our primary, our primary focus is on the football, but there was some pretty big news the other night, should we say, I think it was Wednesday, that the news dropped in which, or Tuesday might have been, sorry, the, the news dropped on a potential US takeover, uh, another new name group entering the fray, following you know a summer of which Michael Koneski was it was was heavily linked with buying the club. What's your understanding? What's the current position Everton find themselves right in right now, and, and where does Farhad Mashiri stand in terms of selling the club? Stand just, in your opinion? Um, just like you say there, Connor, there, there never seems to be a dull moment uh, covering Everton. It's just absolutely ridiculous. I remember. Remember last week, I got to a point where I was, I was just logging off and getting ready to go home, and then the news of further interest from from Kaminsky, who you just referenced the you know, the, the businessman who's linked with Everton in the summer, um, broke, and then you know, you, you get over that, and you think, oh, that's that might be that bit done for for a while, and you know, next thing you know, me and me and yourself, Connor, are recording the Royal Blue podcast that we did earlier on in the week with the McGrail brothers, the boxing brothers, ahead of their fight. Um, in, the, in the next coming weeks and we come out and there's, there's more interest so it really does seem just one of those ones where you know can't get a quiet week covering the blues but then that would make our job too easy wouldn't it so anyway so we, we, we've got LAMF um, investors and my understanding is basically they're, they're another US-based entity there is a genuine interest from them in, in, in taking over Everton they have made that um, they've made Everton aware of that um, but no serious talks have taken place. So it's similar to similar to the Kaminsky situation the week before, really, where you have somebody that has clearly got one eye on Everton as a as a potential, you know, takeover target, um, and you know, obviously, you know, hopeful of, of progressing on that. But things are still in their very early stages. No really substantial talks have taken place. So really, so it's more just kind of speculation. It's more. We're aware that there's another name in the hat that would be considering it. And I think from, from their point of view, I mean, it was Bloomberg, the US media outlet, the first report, and even they were saying, you know, discussions in their infancy, Everton, just one club that um, that this group are looking at. So they, in theory, have got plenty of money because one of the, you know, Jeffrey Soros, one of the guys running it, is the, the nephew of George Soros, who's one of the world's richest um, people. So, so you look at that and you say money might not be an option, but then when you look at the kind of reality and the amount of money they, they, they've raised, and they raised about $250 million in, in November for, for basically for acquisitions, 
Um, and I'm not sure that that would be that would be enough to take over Everton. They 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 need more money probably for that. I think the reality of the situation is this. Obviously, we know that Fired Mashiri said in the summer that the club isn't for sale. But what he did accept was that he was having discussions with people about how they're going to finance the rest of the stadium. So we know that Mashiri is in talks with businessmen and business groups and banks about high-profile financial deals. We also know from what we've seen throughout the Premier League over the past few years that Premier League clubs are uh, highly attractive for certain investors from, from around the world. So if Mashiri's moving in those big money circles and every now and then someone's probably going to pop up and, you know, even if it's speculative, maybe question about whether or not they can take over Everton or whether Everton's a club that they can successfully target, whether it is or not is, is slightly open. Obviously, uh, you know, I don't think you can ever say never. Um, and I'm sure everybody has, has a price, but from Mashiri's perspective, my son is at least that if he can take the club into the new stadium, I think that's what he would prefer to do. I think that's what he sees as the potential to be his legacy. Obviously, he's pumped hundreds of millions of pounds into spending money in the transfer market. And, you know, Everton haven't got close to a trophy during his tenure. Um, things are going well with Frank Lampard and, and Kevin Farwell and co. But I think most people would understand that that might, you know, a sustained challenge for silverware might still be a way off. Although, you know, a bit of luck with the draws or, you know, something like the Carling Cup or the FA Cup, the, sort of Carabao Cup or the FA Cup means that something could happen. Like it's, this is a very competitive Everton squad. But I think Mashiri probably sees the stadium, you know, leading the club into a brand new waterfront, the state-of-the-art waterfront development is probably the best chance he's got of a, of a genuine legacy at Everton. I think if he can find a way to lead, you know, to finance that and so that he's the person at the helm when the club moves over, I think that would be his preference. So, you know, with same with the Kaminsky, same with LAMF, interest is there from them, but we're nowhere near a deal. Talks, even if they have taken place, are very much in their infancy. You know, I don't think they've got any any legs at, at this stage. That's not to say that something wouldn't develop. That's not to say that somebody might not come across, you know, come across Mashiri and put in a bid that, that really caught his eye. But for the minute, I, I don't think we're anywhere near that. So what we can see is that, that Everton are clearly attracting interest from certainly from, from America. Um, and I say from Mashiri's perspective, if you can find a way of financing the stadium and still being in charge, then I think that would be his preferred, his preferred situation. Um, particularly as you know, I, I don't know the finances particularly, well. I don't know the business world that, that well, but you'd think that Everton would have become much more, um, valuable as an asset once you've got a new stadium built as well so if you're thinking of selling the club in the next few years and you can find a way to do that when they've got the new stadium well obviously you've got a chance to, to get a lot more money so so yeah so it's keeping us busy keeping us entertained and it's clearly interesting everton but at the moment i don't think we're we're, we're that close to a deal or substantial talks or anything because you're somewhat of a, a seasoned pro i think out of me Joe and yourself when it comes to Everton takeovers I've covered the club for a number of years pre Machete when there was also that yeah. reality talk what, what what are your feelings on this because obviously you know Farber Shea's going through a lot of stick from Evertonians mm-hmm. but is it sometimes almost a case of the best of the devil you know you don't know and you know Everton better stick with Machete at least till Bramley Moore they're in Bramley Moore docking and, and have left Goodison Park to look to you know change ownership now and, and maybe move in a different direction yeah, there's certainly a lot of unknowns with this, both the, the original group who were mentioned over the summer 
and the, the latest ones who, who came to the fore um, this week. Uh, it's it seems to be the the way it's going. It's almost like um, a sporting colonization, really. The, the increased um, American influence um, coming into the Premier League. It's either them or we've seen with the, the, uh, no, the, the, the Saudis coming in at Newcastle United. And obviously it was the, the first anniversary of their takeover. This week, um, you know, we've, we've mentioned it before, the, the, the days of, you know, local lad done good. Your Jack, your Jack Walkers at Blackburn Rovers, they, they've long since passed. So it's naive to think that you're just going to get some uh, Evertonium with the, that type of money. You know, these, these are these are hard-nosed businessmen um, looking to make a, a book in the long term. So you've got to be, have a certain amount of cynicism towards them as well, both in terms of the ones who were mentioned over the summer, whether they could raise the capital. And as Joe's just mentioned there, the, the, um, the latest group, I mean, $250 million is a vast amount of money to, to you and I, but it, not in terms of buying a Premier League football club. That's probably only half the amount that Farhad Mashiri values the club at. And then you've got another half a billion there for the cost of the the stadium, which is being constructed to to be weighed in there. So it um, brings more questions and answers for me about, okay, you've mentioned that he's got a, a, a rich funds are going to be filtered down to him. He's, um, he's well-connected, obviously, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's got you know, a, a, a tap to his uncle's um, vast fortune either. So I mean, we've got to be wary, but I guess it, it, it's, it's the same with all these Premier League teams now. That ultimately, these people who are wanting to take them over, they're not doing that because they, they're thinking, oh, well, Everton, they won a lot of stuff in the past. They were good. They deserve to be revived. They're just thinking, of course, like with any owners, it, it, that's the ultimate goal is you want to win as much as you can. But um, and that's beneficiary for them from from a financial point of view. But the, ultimately, this is seen as um, a business acquisition, and um, even more so than uh, Mr. Mashiri. I mean, he previously had, had, had shares in Arsenal, of, of course. But um, I think he um, he's a football fan to a certain extent. That doesn't mean he's a knowledgeable football fan. But and he, at least he did follow the game for 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 a while, and he's had to learn the hard way in the job, and has admitted to those mistakes that he's made. But you've got people who are coming in who probably don't even um, appreciate it as a sport. They probably see it more as a, as a business acquisition and just the thing to do now if you're, if you're a, an American businessman as such. Can we see it at Chelsea? Okay, their new owner, he's, um, he's put a lot of funds in there after buying the club from Roman Abramovich. But he's he's been a bit of a basket case. He's made some you know, embarrassing faux pas. There was the talk, was it the, the 4-4-3 formation that he wanted Chelsea to play? fact that he said that Mohamed Salah was a product of their their youth system. You, you know, you're going to get people like that. They, they, you know, very rich, successful businessmen are used to getting their own way, but they, met, they but they, you know, they, they might not be able to, um, to 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 have expertise over the football side of thing. And, and if that does happen, you hope that they've got the right people, sort of um, influencing them and uh, advising them, because I think that's where Mr. Machini is fallen down so far in terms of um, is, is the appointments that he's made and the way he, he's invested in the players and the hiring and firing of, of managers. You, Everton are onto a good thing with Frank Lampard now all of a sudden. They're getting that state stability that they want to take with them to the new stadium. And the last thing you want is coming in some, some unknown US owner who just wants his own man and uh, pulls that all apart because I think that's the last thing Everton need. 
But it's just just to stick with you there because mm. point in terms of Rafferson or Todd Bowles, the Chelsea recently appointed Chelsea owner, because um, he's obviously said a lot in terms of you no know, All Star games and you know almost yeah. making a pitch for franchise football. Do you think it's it's almost a bit worrying if Everton were to come under American ownership in the sense of it's another vote for that franchise football model that we're, we're seeing the American owners increasingly kind of push for you know you look at players at Man United, if FSG at Liverpool, you know Stan Kroenke at Arsenal, you know that American influence where you know they basically just want to close shop and it, it's it's dangerous for the, the pyramids and it's dangerous for the game yeah. that we've all grown up watching. Is it dangerous that Everton become the latest club to be bought by Americans that they're going to be in that kind of bracket of pushing for change that? Be detrimental for the, for the rest of football, yeah. I think that is a, that's a major concern for the whole of football, not just for Evan. As you mentioned, um, I've spoken um, quite strongly about this in recent times. There was the piece when um, the Real Madrid president was making his latest pitch for the, the European Super League, in which he, insi- I mean, most of them have, have dropped out now. Obviously, all the six clubs of England dropped out of that when they saw the, the huge public backlash against that. But I think there's Real Madrid, Barcelona. Juventus possibly as well, and maybe maybe another one of the Italian clubs still um, haven't officially um, pulled out of that. And um, yeah, it, it, it's desperation stakes that they claim to be committed to the idea of the, the domestic competitions continuing. But um, yeah, this idea of the close shop, and that's the thing with American sport. Um, it's very different, as a lot of us know now, to, to our sport, where you've got that organic system of promotion, relegation, which has been the lifeblood of football for over a century now. You know, um, you and I could start a team tomorrow from the bottom, and in theory, if you know, if we kept winning enough matches in a few years' time, we could end up in the Premier League. I mean, it doesn't always happen, but there's been certain clubs gone up and down. I think Bolton Wanderers, Wolves, as well, they've been in all four divisions up and down at various times. So you know, it can happen. And yeah, if we were to close out, if they if they bring their American ideas, okay, the the idea that the um, the All Star Game, I think it was, it was a bit of fun, really. I think it works well in certain American sports, um, baseball, basketball, where there's less physical contact. But I think even in American football, they've knocked it on the head now because the idea that all these millionaire sportsmen go and play in an exhibition match it's, uh, that their parent clubs don't like that. So I don't see how it would actually work in football. I don't think we can be sort of snobbish and dismissive and say, oh, he's a crazy American with this crazy American idea. I just don't see how that works in, um, in English football. But that's something quite trivial compared to like the the, um, the biggest picture that you, you allude to there in terms of the promotion, the relegation, which has been the lifeblood of our sports since the start, really, and that just the way things have, have worked in Europe. So I would be concerned in that if they wanted to do this a certain way, or at any point we we get a close shot, because, I mean, it's tough enough as it is with the, the way the game is skewed towards those with the greatest resources and financial fair play, which is obviously supposed to stop clubs from spending beyond their means, but actually ends up protecting those who are already at the top. And uh, it, it, it's becoming less and less of a spectacle, as it were, in the, you know those great moments like Leicester City's five thousand to one Premier League title win could be consigned to history. To, you know the, the way things are going, so that has to be a, a concern. Yes, I, I certainly think that um, in the, if you get to the point where there's enough Premier League clubs who are owned by these type of owners, i.e., American owners, that, that you know they would actually be able to vote these kind of changes through eventually. Joe, just you know, switching back over to, to Farhad and Sherry, because I think there's quite a few Everton fans who are seemingly a little bit confused. I think it is the right word to use in terms of why someone who, you know, in the Sun of Mountain publicly states Everton were off for sale and, you know, he was committed to the club. Although, you know, you're 
as you referenced there, you know, in terms of the, the investment for Randy Mordock, are a little bit, you know, I could say confused as to why he seemingly holds and talks with parties about takeovers and okay, you know, no, no deal seem, is seemingly imminent. But if he was to receive an offer, you know, he could well sell his, his stake, his share in Everton. Do you understand why some fans are perhaps a little bit confused and maybe a little bit concerned as to what is actually going on? Because, like I say, you know, as far as I'm such a public stance in, in the summer to where we are now, something seems to not be quite right. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I can understand why fans might be you know, confused and... and want to see reassurance. I mean, Everton feel the most stable that they've felt for, for quite a number of years at the minute. Obviously, you know, that's, that's built on eight Premier League games and a reasonably successful transfer window. But, you know, there's still a lot that could go wrong. I think we all crave stability at the club and hearing that people are in talk of potentially taking over doesn't really help fill you with, with, with that much confidence. But I think it's also important to recognise that you know, one, Mashiri hasn't said anything to suggest that he does want to sell the club at the moment. And in both cases, both with, with the Kaminskys and, you know, with LAMF, you know, the, you know, the, the news hasn't come from the Everton end. It's come from, from other people. And we have to accept that there's probably a degree of, of gamesmanship and politics and PR around a lot of these things. You know, there's, there's always two sides to every story. And, just because someone comes out and says the you know or says to a reporter on or off the record that you know oh, I'm interested in doing this, that doesn't mean to say that they've got any real chance of doing it or that it's going to happen. You know, I I'd be interested in buying a Ferrari. I can tell you for, but you know, I can tell you on, on a on a reach PLC wage and, and things like that. I'm, I'm I'm absolutely miles off being able to do that. The interest might be there, but the reality of a you show sure your miles off, Joe. Of a Ferrari dealership, um, you know, giving me one of the, you've know, been able to give me a deal that I could afford is, is is pretty slim. So, you know, I think we have to take all these things with, with a pinch of salt, to be honest, whilst also recognising that a little bit like what Chris alluded to there, you know, football isn't just football now, football's business. And for the people that are running, people who own football clubs, particularly Premier League football clubs, you know, they are all businessmen. You know, they're all used to, you know, deals and they all have kind of you know mantras and ways of living there ways of approaching things and you know even the most hard-nosed businessman would probably you know wouldn't look a gift horse in the mouth that's why they're so successful if, if you know someone comes along with an offer that's too good to turn down then you know, you'd be surprised if they turned it down i think we're a long way off that for, for everton um you know i can understand why yeah, there is some concern and instability, and we can't rule anything out. Let's be honest; we don't we don't really know what's going on in in Fard Mashiri's mind. And also, we have to accept that conditions change every single day. You know, it only only it only takes a you know, a mini budget for the pound sterling to drop in price compared to a dollar, and all of a sudden, 
you know, whereas there might have only been one US based um, in, you know, group looking to take over, all of a sudden there's a lot more that think they can afford an English football club because of the way that the currencies have changed in valuation. So, you know, things, things can change all the time. So I don't think anybody should think that there is an established position on this. But I also think they should, don't think they should worry that anything is going to happen imminently. Um, you know, obviously, ever in the process of building a state of the art, we have hundreds of million pounds new stadium. You know, it's going to cost a lot of money. It's already cost a lot of money. I think everyone can understand why the club might need to do a few deals in order to kind of, not necessarily in order to finish the stadium, but to finish the stadium on the best terms that are available to it financially. Sometimes that might mean doing deals with people. And whilst they're moving in those circles, they're going to come across the odd person that's got a lot of money and might be ambitious to take over a Premier League club. And even if they're nowhere near getting anywhere near that, they might like to drop the line every now and then to, you know, in, in the media just to, get a bit of publicity, boost their own image, and also maybe just to see how the land lies and see how receptive a fan base might be to their group taking over. So, you know, it's it's frustrating in the sense that, you know, it might be an element that a lot of speculation is very rich people with no real affinity to Everton that are playing, playing games, playing games with the club, playing their own business games. And, you know, it's the supporters who are the ones that are affected at the end of the day because they're the ones going to bed at night trying to work out what's going to happen to the, the club that they love. But unfortunately, that's kind of where we are now. The Premier League is a, is, a, is a global brand and Premier League clubs are attractive because of the amount of money that they have the potential to make when they're running a certain way. So, you know, you look at most clubs, the reality is that, that there's normally someone lurking around that'd be interested in, in, in doing a deal with them. I don't think that Everton are any different in that in that respect. So probably important to take it with a pinch of salt at the minute. Unfortunately, except that these rumours are going to come up from time to time. Um, but for the moment, I don't think anything is is necessarily imminent. So you know, try and try not to worry about it too much. Is it's the almost an argument that can be made now in terms of when you look at the seat the start the Everton have had. You know, last season saw the support and, and the way Bramley Moore got, you know, shot up in terms of the work that the club produced. But mm. there's also a point now in terms of the, the recruitment over the summer, the on-the-pitch turnarounds in terms of, you know, Everton look at a much solid outfit, you know, they look strong at the back, they've recruited well, they've got a man who seemingly getting a lot of things right in the fans' love. That that makes them a better proposition almost now to buy it. And if you're an investor looking, you'd be a bit more tempted towards Everton, given that, you know, you know, you've got the off the pitch stuff that was was seemingly there last season, but you now got things going right, going in the right direction on the pitch, which makes you know, the club almost a perfect model to, to look to buy. Yeah, I think it is looking a lot rosy. I mean, when the interest came in in, in the summer, there was a couple of schools of thought. One that were ever and precarious because their their top flight status had um, been seriously compromised. There, the potential relegation for the first time in seventy one years. And um, I think Gaff said on this same podcast that he wondered whether that had spooked Farhad Mashiri into even considering the, these offers because, you know, it was very shocking at the time for us to first hear that um, he was potentially um, interested in selling the club. Um, but then on the flip side of that, you can say, well, Everton had their, their awful season, as it were. I mean, it was obviously the joint lowest equivalent points total in the club's history. So... If you 
a glass half full man you say well you know that's as bad as it gets hopefully for forever and they've they've had their bad season now and um the the only way is up i certainly think like you say um what they do have is a manager who's united the, the fan base and that's that was regardless of results i mean uh, that's now come the, the improvement in results is gradually coming but you know from the start he, he, he united a fractured fan base deeply divided after you know and let's make no bones about it the most controversial appointment in uh, the most passionate football city in England with appointing former Liverpool manager Rafael Benitez we've been through all that it wasn't just the fact that he was a former Liverpool manager it was the things he'd said and done during that time um, so uh, and, and the fact that also you know he, he was yesterday's man he's a man who has a very impressive CV but most of his big achievements came a long time ago in football terms so that that was a, a you know a disastrous half a season stint and Lampard was left to pick up the pieces I think what also is possibly more um, encouraging for, for the owners, uh, potential owners, would be the, the the sort of the turnaround in terms of the playing staff there. Everton managed to get quite a lot of high-earning players off the books these last couple of transfer windows now through various means, whether it's just players coming to the end of the contracts or players who, who've been um, let, let go, either mostly at least permanent sales, um, some of them have been loans. But, you know, have been having what was about a year or so ago widely reported as being the, the highest um, wage bill outside of um, what we all call the big the big six. Um, there's actually a, a lot of change on that scope and with the canny buys that um, Lampard and um, Kevin Felwell have, have made. So you might have that, what we talk about, that, that more wiggle room in terms of the adherence to financial fair play because it seems that Everton have been restricted by that in, in recent times. So that would also be uh, um, more appealing, I guess, um, um, to, to potential owners. But like I say, that the, the fear is that, you, you know, you get some unknown quantity who comes in and then rips all that up because it does seem to be, I mean, Farhad Mashiri did it himself. I mean, there was probably going to be a clamour for Roberto Martinez's head, whether Mashiri had taken over or not in, uh, in the spring of 2016. But... And now he was only in the he'd only been at the club a couple of months and he and he got rid of um martinez and then that has sparked uh, you know six years of where you've not had a manager for various reasons who's lasted more than 18 months so that set the tone then really so yeah you, there's always that unknown quantity of you know everton are finally onto a good thing and that that's a bit of stability just what they need a young improving team which can take them to the new stadium in 2024 and the last thing you need i said before is is a new owner coming in and just um ripping all that up and, and starting again because they want their own man as, as football owners tend to do. Gents, I think we'll leave all the take over talk there for now yeah. because we do have a game on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, sorry. And yeah. it's a pretty big game with Manchester United visit Goodison Park. Joe United were beaten 6-3 last time in the Premier League by Manchester City, which is, you know, probably no disgrace in some respects given how well City have started the season and how well and how informed in Haaland is. They did bounce back last night, Thursday, with a 3-2 Europa League win in Nicosia. But for Everton, this is a chance to really stay for a markdown, isn't it? And, 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 you know, not only get some more points on the board, but show people that they mean business and that they can compete with the, the top teams in the league. Because whether, you know, you like to or not, United are one of the top, top teams in the Premier League. Yeah, I think, you know, it's going to be an interesting game. I was rereading... The match report that I wrote after this game last season, because obviously it was in April when when Anthony Gordon scored the deflected goal that gave Everton what felt like a really big win at the time over Manchester United. Come 
just a couple of days after the the defeat to Burnley and all of a sudden, you know, that win kind of gave, it was one of those moments, a bit like Newcastle, of false hope where you thought, oh, Everton are going to pull themselves clear before this becomes a really, really nasty relegation battle. Obviously, we know that didn't happen, although obviously we got to the, the end with the, the result that everybody was was hoping for. But one of the lines that, that I wrote in it, this subject of my Royal Blue column tomorrow, is that both Everton and Man United both were the embodiment of, of, of the idea of teams that were lesser than the sum of their parts, you know, very expensively put together and just completely misfiring when it came on onto the pitch. I mean, we're we're six months on from that day, and and you look at this Everton side now, and it couldn't be any further from that. Everything everything makes sense. Obviously, there has been a degree of turnover in players, and you know, Frank Lampard has kind of changed the culture slightly. That's not to say that at the back end of last season it wasn't an Everton squad that was doing everything it could to stay up, but this feels like now, as opposed to kind of a, a Frankenstein squad that's just clunking its way to survival, this feels like it's a well-oiled machine that has a direction that it's it's going in or trying to go in and the decisions that are being made in order to make progress just make sense including the signings everything feels like it has like a, sh- a short-term benefit but also a long-term ambition that's running through the heart of everything and you know for that to have changed so quickly in such you know in such a short period of time it, it, it really is a kind of um, impressive result of the work of Kevin Farwell and, and Frank Lampard yeah, one of the probably the biggest um, thing compliments you can give is the fact that you know Sunday isn't a must-win game. Obviously, we want Everton to, to carry on the great form that they've had. We want Everton to make it three three wins in a row, and and it would of course you know, be helpful going into you know what is still a very difficult run of fixtures with with six points from the first two games as opposed to to three. But I don't think it'd be panic stations if if, if Everton did lose. You know, this isn't. Isn't a must-win game or anything like that. The performance still matters. Everton aren't in a position where they can just throw away points or anything like that, or just or just crumble. But you know, Everton go into this game probably in better form than Man United, and with absolutely nothing to fear. And I think there's a degree to which they can they can just go and have a go on Sunday night. They can, you know, Man United are a side that attack is possibly the best form of defence against them. Yeah, you know, they they are. They do have their moments. They are vulnerable to collapses. If Everton, especially Goodison Park under the lights and the form and the momentum that they're in and the backing that the crowd have given them at the minute and have been for so many months, you know, if Everton were to get an early goal, and you, you really would fancy fancy the chances of of, of getting three points. So, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Kind of, I followed a little. I didn't watch, but I was following the Man United match last night, and you see the six-three result against Man City, and you think, oh. Well, you look at the talent in that Man United side, surely it's going to be a big reaction. And I'm not, look at this Man United side year after year, and I'm not sure how capable they are. They just don't seem to be able to put everything together to then go out and thump someone. Hopefully, they don't mag- you know, magically put that to right on, on Sunday and turn up. And you know, we have to be wary because they've got so much exceptional talent that you know they they are capable of. Of, of, of pulling together a, a you know, really impressive performance. And we know they've already beaten Liverpool and Arsenal this season. So, you know, I think perhaps the progress isn't quite as visible under Eric Ten Hag as it is with Frank Lampard. But Man United are probably also in a better position than they were when they came to Goodison Park last season. But, you know, I don't think this is a game that everyone should fear. I think that everything that we've seen so far suggests that, you know, they, they can go up against this Manchester United side, they can compete against it. And, you know, hopefully they can... 
you know, they can build on the momentum that they've already uh, picked up over the last few weeks and, 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 and get another win. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. He's, I think Joe's right there, though, isn't he? When he says, you know, the best form, you know, of a defence is, is attack for Everton on Sunday. I think, you know, this is a game where they, they can't let United off the hook on the early doors. They can't let United, you know, try and get on top and try and dominate. They haven't just got to go full throttle behind it and, and almost, you know, kind of ram it down United's throat from the first minute and make her as much as uncomfortable as they possibly can. Yeah, I think when Everton <laughs> have achieved um, positive results against Manchester United at Goodison, it's been on. Times like we got, um, they've got Goodison rocking and they've been been in their face, been been an aggressive, um, and this is to sound be uh, um, no different. I mean, it's very different than obviously going to Manchester City, as we as we said, um, last weekend. The fact that City were able to put six goals past them that's, that's almost as many goals as Everton have scored, um, all season. Although that was a move in a, the right direction at St. Mary's when they they got uh, more than one for the first time, so. I'm not expecting a, a Goodison gold look, that, that's for sure. I mean, it would have been interesting if um, if Dominic Calvert-Lewin had been fit and fired him because, you know, in, in the past, it's been the likes of Big Dunk twice at the the, the, uh, the Gladys Street end or Marouane Fellaini, who, of course, obviously went to Manchester United later on, um, sort of um, scored the, the winners and talismanic um, moments for Everton. So, especially with uh, Sandro Martinez, what is he less than... Five foot nine, one of the, the smallest centre halves in the Premier League. You'd have you'd have fancied Dominic Calvert Lewin doing a bit of a repeat job of his goal against Crystal Palace, but you know, unfortunately, unless there's some major turn up for the books, that's that's not going to be happening. It'd be little Neil Mope, who certainly isn't um, lacking on, in aggression. Certainly, I mean, I think uh, pound for pound, he can he can mix with the big with, with the big boys. He, he showed that at Southampton last week, so I think that's that's what they need to do. They need to be aggressive and. And in their faces, not quite like we say the the fragile Manchester United um, of the springtime. Um, they've been up and down under some hard, you know. They've had some poor defeats, and like you mentioned there already with Joe, um, some 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 notable victories. So they they're also on the but they certainly I think they're there for the taking. It's not it's not a game that Everton should um, fear like the you know the days of United of yesteryear and the recent past under Tralex Ferguson. They're, they're still very much picking up the pieces there and. And rebuild in the same way uh, of tonight. It's, it's an interesting one to, to look forward to, really. And it's certainly, um, as, jo, as Joe says, while it, you know it's it's not a must-win, um, they've you know they've um, eased the pressure certainly to a large degree with those back-to-back victories. It's a game, hopefully, that Evertonians can look forward to. Joe, you mentioned them just now, but Anthony Gordon, we suspect, will be you know fully fit heading into Sunday's game after you know starting on the bench last weekend due to illness leading up to the Southampton game. Putting yourself in Frank Lampard's position now. Obviously, we saw Dwight McNeil come in for Gordon last week and he scored his first goal for the club. Damari Gray's impressed so far this season. Three into two simply doesn't go. Who's going to give the nod to on Sunday? Are you going to put Gordon straight back in or do you, do you keep playing for McNeil? Uh, Gordon comes straight back in for me. Um, you know, he's he he starts if he's fit. He's, he's one of Everton's best players and he's someone that can you know, produce a moment of magic as we've seen a couple of times this season. But not only that, he's someone, you know, as a local lad. And again, we saw this very much so in this fixture back in April, as he's somebody that really can, you know, get the stadium bouncing if, you know, we've, you know one of his burst forwards or if he beats the player. Damari Gray has had a decent start to the season, kind of 
against Southampton, uh, enjoyed his performance against Southampton, you know, knowing that we Everton then went on to win it. You know, he, he was very good at beating players and, and created a number of decent chances, but you know, the end product just wasn't quite there. A couple of times he had the chance, he had good chances to score, particularly when Dwight McNeil paid him through in the second half and didn't take him or he, you know, he could have perhaps provided a little bit of better end product for someone else. But he, you know, he's he's in dangerous form at the moment, especially when he's running at him and uh, running at, at defenders. And I think if you look at Manchester United's fullbacks, uh, Diego Dallo and and Tyrrell Malaki are the two that are starting most of the games. But this point still works for Luke Shaw if he starts at a Malaki. You know, they they pick up a lot of bookings, and if you have got fullbacks that, that are vulnerable to to late tackles and, and getting yellow cards, then you know I want two wide players that are running at them and putting them under the cosh straight away. And I think that Gray and Gordon would be perfect to do that. As I also think Neil Mope is, you know, just watching him off the ball last week at Southampton, you know, he <laughs> he really does get stuck in and wind up the opponents. You know, it's in, you know, it, 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 it's really interesting to watch. And I think that that kind of aggressive in your face attitude could work well against Manchester United centre-backs as well as the full-backs. Uh, going into Sunday's game, so so for me, you know, I, I'm hoping I'm, and I'm hopeful that Dominic Calvert Lewin is is in the squad and 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 can you know be in a position where he can come on and, and have an effect in that game because I think it would be a really good game for him to come back to, um, as Chris was saying there, particularly with with Lissandro Martinez at centre back and also if he starts out wide and wants to play in either none of their fullbacks are particularly tall, so if we can get balls into the box or into the back post and Calvert Lewin can have a real chance. Um, you know, exposing that vulnerability, as could um, Amadou Anana if we see him pushing forward a little bit more like he did against Southampton. Uh, but for me, you know, I was really pleased with Dwight McNeil's performance on, on Saturday and I was really pleased for him. But if Gordon's fit, for me, it's it's Gordon and Gray out wide. Uh, no, no questions. Is he going to be as ruthless as Joe's been on McNeil or are you sticking by the form of the Bailey man for this one? Well, it's a bit, a bit, a bit different actually. In that I would, I would bring Gordon back in if fit. But I think, given that um, Dwight McNeil um, got his, his goal at the weekend, I think that um, it's a nice dilemma for Frank Lampard to have, and it's kind of one that you want to have those options in there. And I think um, the Marty Gray's place possibly um, comes on on the threat there, as, as Joe said. He's very dangerous again at Southampton. Terrific pace. He was causing all kinds of problems for the Southampton defence. But then his end product wasn't there. So I think, you know, there's no guarantee that he will keep his shirt. It could be that you have, you go with McNeil and Gordon, mix it up um, that way. But th- this is what Everton have been wanting for months and months now. So it's not just that first 11 almost picking itself by default. That You've actually got quality options. You know, you've got at least three lads vying for just two shirts. Uh, and that's it. That's it. This, you know, it, it again represents that, that, that upward curve that, the team are going for. I mean, you'd be harsh on um, McNeil. I mean, he's got to accept it. If, if he did lose his place, you know, as Joe said, Anthony Gordon's been the main man, and um, if he's if he's fit to return, that uh, he, he comes in. But like I said it could be he could be grey, given that you know, McNeil will take um, a lot of confidence from from that that first goal, and um, also possibly offers a, a more defensive option in that area against a Manchester United team who will uh, be you know away from home still uh, offer a a bigger attacking um, threat down the flank. So, yeah, I mean, it's great that there's three players going for, for two shirts. Uh, but, you know, like I said, um, could be a case that you go with Gordon and McNeil and, and, and Gray misses out. But So, either way, you've, you've got a decent option off the bench, yeah. Joe, 
one thing that has seemingly divided opinion amongst fans, and it's understandably so, is the kickoff time on, on Sunday. Goodison, obviously, you no know, 7 pm, not the traditional kickoff time on Sunday, and certainly not the traditional kickoff time that we're used to seeing in English football in general, let alone in the Premier League. You know, I, I must admit, I'm in favour of it. I think 7 pm on a Sunday is far better than hell, half 12 on a Saturday, and Goodison under the lights. And you know, cauldron and noise will be a far better atmosphere than probably Sunday, Saturday afternoon would say. But what are your thoughts? Obviously, can you understand the frustration from some sports that the late kickoff obviously isn't ideal, but you know, it could be it could, could be a tremendous advantage in the long run. Well, I understand your point in saying, yeah, particularly for this fixture, it's one that you want under the lights if possible. But you've got to remember that when Everton beat Man United last season in a game they really needed to win, that was on Saturday lunchtime kickoff, and Goodison was bouncing and it helped Everton to. You know, what felt like a really important three points at the time. I mean, I know that the reason that the game has been moved this point, uh, this this timing of the weekend is for mainly for TV reasons, but also because of Man United you know, playing in in Cyprus last night. But to be perfectly honest, I I, I think it's a disgrace really, and I think that that's a theme of the next com- couple of weeks for for Everton. You know, the likes of myself and 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 Chris are lucky. You know, we get paid to go to these games, and you know. You know, so so the but but even for us, the the traveling that is going to have to happen at the times it's going to have to happen over the next few weeks is is appalling. Really, we've got you know two games in uh, in London on Saturday evenings. You know, Tottenham and Fulham are both five thirty p.m. kickoff. Got Newcastle away in a midweek. You know, that's that's obviously a very difficult one. You know, and you've got, got the double header of Bournemouth. It's not really anyone can do about that. You know. Carabao Cup's always midweek and you've got to go to Bournemouth at some point in the season, so you can't do anything about that. Um, but I think even, I can't remember if it's, I think it's the Leicester game. You know, the Leicester game's 5.30pm kickoff of the one the home game. So, you know, really... Sorry? Bonfire night as well, that one. Bonfire night, so, you know, which again takes families away from, you know, an opportunity that people like to, you know, share together. So, I'm, I'm really frustrated by it, to be honest. I think there's a game, I think, for European reasons, I think Liverpool Leeds is a is a late kickoff on a Saturday coming up, and I think if for any Leeds fan that wants to come on public transport, the the last train kicks off at the beginning of the, the last train leaves at the beginning of the second half, and you know, it's dramatic of a situation at the moment where where football isn't being run for the match going fan, and I you know we only have to look at we only have to look at Everton home or away to see just the impact and the value that the match going fan has. On the atmosphere and on what the teams and the team can do, um, you know it's 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 so important to the game. It's it, you know it, it's unreal, but it feels like everything. All these decisions are being made in a way that thinks of them last, if if at all. You know we were talking earlier about you know what more American ownership in the Premier League could do and, and things like All Star games at, at, at the end of seasons. And whilst you know I think. Conversations over innovative conversations are fair enough, and about about things like that. And we shouldn't always be too reluctant to change. You know, quite often what we're hearing is that these things are the ideas are coming at the expense of other things like cup replays and and stuff like that. So you know, I think really the game is already changing too much at the whims of you know the TV companies really and. You know, it feels like that whatever happens is always a match going fan that loses out. I, I think the atmosphere will be superb on, on Sunday. I'd always rather play Man United under the lights, uh, you know, of right. an evening kickoff. But, but ultimately, like, I, I, I don't like the scheduling. I don't like what 
is being done. So many of these decisions are made last minute as well, or after transport's already booked. That you know, I just I just don't think it's fair. But fair play to the you know what and if you look at some of the coach companies and going ahead for the games in the coming weeks. You know, Evan keeps selling out the away allocations, and obviously we know that everyone will be there for for Goodison Park on Sunday. And just fair play to them, like you know the the spirit and result of their show, and you know amidst the cost of living crisis and everything else, it's just absolutely phenomenal. Beef, Joe Echo, Joe frustrations around, you know, the schedule and, and the fixture times so, and whatever fans and, and football fans in general haven't enjoyed the minute. Yeah, I totally concur with what he's saying in terms of um, the match going fan being last on the, the, the list of priorities, as for all those same reasons that Joe's just um, marked out there in terms of kickoff times. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous that you've got a game on. As he's mentioned there for, for Leeds United um, going to Anfield and uh, that last train going back during the second half. I mean, it's the same said when um, when we're going um, to Tottenham Hotspur and, and just over a, a week's time, um, you, you won't be able to get a, a train back to, to Liverpool that evening. That's something that Joe and I have explored ourselves. And we, we know that's, that's the case. OK, we're going in a, a company pool car because of, of that rather than going on, on the trains. But, you know, there's going to be thousands of... Evertonians going down to the capital, going to have to make their own way um, back to Merseyside. So, yeah, it, 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 it is a major issue. I suppose it's not something new. It's been something that's been with us for quite a number of years, but it does seem to be imposed more and more in terms of these additional kickoff times for television. Obviously, with the, the spell during lockdown, where all the games were on TV because no one could go to them. But now that we're, we're back up and running and with the capacity crowds in there, I certainly think that it would be very helpful to have more um, sort of um, liaising with supporter groups over these um, kick kickoff times because, it, like I said, it, it does seem that like, okay, we're doing it for television and they're the paymasters, but ultimately football is, is is nothing without the fans and they they've been the the live blood of, of the sport for, for like you now a century and a half now and we've we've seen that Jordan um, the uh, sort of unreal coronavirus period when the games were mostly played behind closed doors it just cha it changed everything there and it was very sterile atmosphere and, it, and it's not the football that we, we know and love so yeah definitely i think that fans um consideration should definitely be taken on board uh, more often when it comes to these television kickoff times we understand that the games have to be shown on television but try and at least make something as uh, a bit easier for the match going supporters right gents before we finish i think you know i want to ask you how score predictions for sunday Joel, start with you. Um, I'm going to go 2-2. Two, two. I think we're in for a really entertaining game to, to finish off Sunday. I, I think, yeah, I'm going. I'm going. I think there'll be a few goals. I think it'll be an exciting game. Um, and yeah, I reckon 2-2. Two, two. I don't think that. I don't think that would be a bad result for him. I think we take four points from these first two games of this mini season. You know, I'd take that. Please. I can't see it being as as, as free scoring as that. I know that we had Everton getting two at Southampton for the the first time, but but I'll be I'll be more positive in in a way in that I will say a repeat of last season's scoreline and the old one nil to Everton. Connor, I will go two one Everton. Top stuff. I think yeah, I think the Blues will get the Blues will get all three points on Sunday. Right, that's all we've got time for today. Thank you very much for listening to the Roblox Podcast. We will be back on Monday to review. All the fallout from the game against Manchester United on Sunday evening at Goodison Park and bring you up to date with the latest news from Everton as takeover talk, like Joe says, does continue, but it should be taken with somewhat of a pinch of salt. But for today, thanks very much for listening. You've been listening to the Rugby Podcast.
You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.